Welcome to this episode of Temple Beth Am's Are You Coming Back? Personal, candid conversations with Jewish thought leaders across the country on the future of Jewish practice. Hosted by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. One year. It's been one year since Chava Mirel and I got to sit side by side and sing together at Kol Tefillah. It was bittersweet to be back together in a Zoom room and to talk about that memory and our imagined beautiful vision of the world that might come back together once all this pandemic comes to a close. Stay tuned as we talk about our hopes for the future and our visions of self-love as we ask the question, are you coming back? This question of coming back, it's not really coming back because we don't know what we'll come back to, but I'd like to start at what we're coming um uh, you know, what universe we were in a year ago. So maybe take me back to, I don't know, a Shabbat, like a year ago. Where where were you a year ago now? What was like a Shabbat morning or a holiday like um, for you pre-COVID and you and your, your family maybe? Well, you know, a year ago, as we just mentioned, I was at your shul and, you know, one of the cool things that happened when I was there is that um, it was kind of discovered that one of my teachers still taught at the school there. One of my teachers from third grade at the Jewish Day School of Metropolitan Seattle is still teaching, bless her heart, okay, because she's still working with these unruly children because I went down there and did tefillah with them and surprised her. And so that was I mean, there were so many highlights mm-hmm. of that, that, that Shabbat, but that was one of the, like, one of the great ones. But she and I had reunited because of social media and the national kind of international slash Jewish community that, that's together all the time. And I think that that's how you and I first kind of united in a way that we kind of, you know, witnessed each other online and, you know, got to see, pro- we were doing programs and we got to see each other and know each other in that way. You know, someone was releasing an album and whatever it was, like, there was this web that we were already connected in between things. And so then when I would fly into LA from Seattle, I'd get off the plane and I already knew the people, even if I hadn't really met them before, cause I had already just felt like I was part of the community. So hmm. that's something that was already happening before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny to think back to how at that time, the ultimate goal, like the, peak goal of that then was, and how can we get these people together in person in a room? Because the peak experience that we could possibly create, we're already talking about it again now, is all these people in a room live harmonizing. And uh, that that was all we kind of talked about. And it's what we set out to create and then did create a year ago. Um, But you're right that already this idea of a global network was in place. The web was there, literally and figuratively. Right, because so many of us met at conferences from around the country, and then we wanted to keep in touch, you know, and thank goodness that we had these mechanisms to do so, you know, already. And so, and that, like, my entire social life is primarily on, you know, WhatsApp and, you know, Messenger, because 
um, a lot of my friends are Jewish musicians that are living around the country, but we all went to camp and whatever. We have these common bonds that we end up, if I want to, if I want to hear, uh, like a Blink-182 reference and a Talmudic quote in the same thread, then I'll go to the WhatsApp group, which is like all the 30 year old rabbis that I'm friends with. But you know, I don't know. There's just, there's something within our community that it's like a little room of its own within the kind of ether. And now that's where everyone lives all the time, you know, but it's true that there was this barrier of like, well, but getting people into a, into this building is like the jackpot, like the ultimate kind of purpose. And now that nobody's going in any rooms anywhere, um, I'll tell you that I've noticed from Seattle, the Jewish Federation of Greater Seattle, which I've been involved with, you know, whatever throughout the years, um, has done some amazing resonant programming that's like not corporate at all. Let me just tell you, it's crazy how it's off so off the grid, but it is yet still a federation program. And you've got like people from the Orthodox community, people from every like the queer community, all gathering with this federation program and the Jewish Family Service, combining to you know create this heart opening, healing, you know touchstone for people and I just there's no room that all those people are going to go into you know so Mm. now it's like more of an expansive goal which is how do we create a space for us all and how to facilitate that and make that meaningful so that we don't have to use necessarily our insight timer app to get into a place of the heart, you know, basically. Mm. Oh, let's definitely come back to Insight Timer because I've gotten very into Insight Timer recently. Shout yeah. out to Cantor Carrot Spencer Shapiro yes. who turned me on to it. Oh my gosh, she's so amazing. Best. She's fantastic. Um, but part of what you're describing is fascinatingly such a seamless transition uh, for that, for the Seattle Federation and for you and, and for this network. But I imagine, I mean, I know that there was also this tectonic shift that took place at the start of COVID for you. So, um, you know, what, what was, what was that for you? What, what shifted? What was that first? Like, oof, like what, what fell apart when COVID started for you? Ah. <sighs> You know, I think I have a kind of a unique case. First of all, just the way I view the world is I'm, I just my disposition is often like, oh, thank God this happened. This is the best possible outcome. But, you know, I, I'm in the position of privilege. First of all, COVID, you know, the um, quarantine kind of way of communicating over this Internet is only accessible to people who have computers and Internet. So, you know, so many people were already cut out of the deal at that point. you know, aside from that, it was very inclusive, you know, for anyone who does have access to that, it's like, there's really no barrier, you don't even have to put your screen on. But um, yeah, for me, I think like I was on the edge of my life kind of close to falling apart if I didn't go into quarantine, because I was traveling so much, especially in that month of February, I went to LA. And then I went to um, uh St. Louis for the Song Leader Boot Camp and flew straight to Philadelphia and did a whole weekend there with a number of different artists, including Nava Tehila and Alana Arian and Deb Saxmans. 
and like a lot of bandwidth, a lot of different switching gears, but being in different places, drive to New York. And then we, I got back from that, and then the pandemic started. And I was with my child. And like no one was going anywhere. And I was just like, I don't have to go because nobody's going anywhere. So now it's like I don't even have to make up an excuse why I can't go. I didn't really have anything in the month of March, so it was already going to be like a quiet month with my family. My kid's birthday is that month, and it got just quieter than I thought it was going to be. But it was definitely like a much needed change of pace for me. So I'm one of those like annoying people who's like, oh, yeah, the pandemic is so good. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think like my nervous system really wasn't well aligned with the um, pace of life in the before times and I was overstimulated you know I don't know if um, that's just because I'm a human being and it's not natural or I was particularly sensitive to it but I definitely wasn't going to be able to go for very long like that so it feels nice that um, I've spent a whole year like observing the, uh, the seasonal changes which are such an important part of our Jewish practice and I was always faking that leadership. I didn't know what, what I was talking about. I was like, the changing of the times and the seasons. And it's like, I've been in so many time zones. I don't know what seasonal change even feels like. So now I feel like I'm doing like that deep research of what it is to be like in, on the planet. And so much of our tradition is kind of highlighting those things. And so it gives me a little more insight into that. Part of what you're describing sounds like the experience of thriving amidst a lot of people who are struggling, which is its own kind of a struggle, uh, because sometimes it can feel really hard not to apologize for being the one who's thriving amidst struggle. And I know that you have watched particular struggle during the upheaval in Seattle, which has been one of the beating hearts of uprisings over the course of this past year um, uh, for racial injustice in particular. And I'm wondering for you, what have you turned to um, to live in the zone, not of toxic positivity, to call on a catchphrase of uh, of this time, but to allow yourself to continue to thrive um, and maybe to even be a seat of thriving amidst other people who are struggling, right? How do you let others struggle sit there, but permit yourself to thrive? Because I think that's a really important thing to be able to do. It sounds like you're achieving that. What's your secret? Uh, well, um, you know, what you're describing really like sounds like the first three months of the pandemic for me like I felt like I was really centered and I was like in the woods every day and I did feel guilty because a lot of people were panicking people who kind of like preferred the touring life to their home life or you know that part of their life was the most enlivening part and so then when they were stuck home it was like even more jarring for them um, I had a lot of friends that experienced that and just like the fears the economic fears you know I kind of like surrendered and I do have a you know artist in residency in a local scene and I'm part of the federation and you know I have a lot of local things that you know I was needed so it felt like oh well I'm right here I have a, a microphone and a I didn't even have a microphone then to be honest with you I didn't get a microphone till later but I have a computer and 
you know, I, I'll do, I'll lead the Passover. I'll lead everything, you know, whatever you need, just call on me. And so I felt like anytime that I can come in as a helper, then it helps to alleviate my personal stress. But I will say in June, things did fall apart for me emotionally with, um, you know, the George Floyd murder and the, um, just the systemic disaster of the way people are treated um, it's all coming to light. Even though I already knew about it, it was more, you know, there was just, it was, it was an imperative that we all really deeply engage with that. And that required me to go into a dark, darker place emotionally. You know, I couldn't really do that and be really like positive, but I did feel in my city of Seattle, my beloved, beloved Seattle, where I grew up and I was born, went to high school. I was part of the activism of the WTO protests and, the, um, you know, the Nader campaigns. Like, you know, I was like part of that same kind of scene that um, did the protest. This, and I was part of the protest this summer, you know, marginally. Um, and I was so proud of my city for stepping up and for those for for clearing space for the young voices to come forward because that's what I saw a lot on the ground and it was a beautiful thing you know in many ways so that was the part that I keep with me you know uh, there were some really negative things that happened obviously everywhere and you know I'm just a positive person and I'm also privileged that I don't have to live on a daily battle with those forces it's like it's really my choice really whether I want to engage with it or not so that's like you know it's just a different different state of being it sounds like you're describing a contentment with watching things grow you know you're talking about watching your child Judah who's eight now right almost eight right almost eight yeah. ah! well that that birthday I guess was seven this last mm-hmm. year. Wow. So almost eight, watching him grow and watching the youth of your city grow its purpose. And you have a garden too, right? So watching that grow. Oh my goodness. Well, I will say, you know, uh, when we first moved into our house, uh, my husband, my beloved husband, Brennan, took out the lawn and made a bunch of eight raised beds and put a garden in there. And then the whole summer, last summer, in quarantine, he's actually a nurse, so he wasn't in quarantine. But on his days off, he would come home and he built this gigantic terracing in the backyard. So now we have like a backyard you know, farm basically is a farm. So he inspired me with the actual food production out there to have my, I have a little indoor plant um, paradise of my own now. That's amazing. Like edible. Well, the plants that I have inside are just regular old house plants. Like the ones that you see here, I have like over a hundred house plants, but the ones outside are, um, yeah, he's growing beautiful, beautiful vegetables all year round and fruit as well. So that's amazing. Yeah, I got scared about food production <laughs> and, um, you know, the breakdown in the um, systems of distribution. So anyway, whatever. That's very Seattle of you. I really <laughs> like it. Well, there's a lot that's very Seattle about you. Um, maybe I'll hook back to that comment that you made about Insight Timer, which if people don't know, is this amazing free app. I think it's the number one free app out there for meditation and mindfulness. I really like that you can join live stuff on there. I think that's really cool. I occasionally just jump into the live meditations, which are totally wacky and out there. Um, and I'm just thinking about you know mindfulness and joining in. And um, I, I want to ask about your consumption 
of spirituality during this time, right? Because you're such a producer of Jewish spirituality, not just Jewish, right? Non-Jewish stuff too. But um, like, how do you feel like your consumption of spirituality has changed during this time? What What do you need more of? Do you meditate more? Do you meditate less because it's all quiet? What What does Chava need more of in this time? That is such a great question. Um, okay, so like the day before the pandemic, which also was the day of the pandemic, the first day of the pandemic, which is the first day that someone died in Washington State, uh, was my birthday, which is leap year. So I was I only get a birthday every four years. So that was my birthday. It was just me like looking at the screen of like, <laughs> there's a virus, you know, okay. and then everything shut down after that. So, but like the day before that, I applied for this program which was called the mindfulness teacher mindfulness meditation teacher certification program with tara brock and jack cornfield and like i did it on a whim there's so many programs i mean everyone knows there's some beautiful spirituality programs within the jewish movement and you know don't 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 get me wrong like i love um, all the jewish practices but for some reason i was just very drawn to that program so i just applied for it like on the spot and little did i know it was like thousands of dollars and it's a two-year commitment so anyway i was accepted to into the program and i started doing the prerequisites right at the beginning of the pandemic and it was an amazing serendipitous thing i just like i threw myself into training threw myself into meaning i sat still in a room with no sound um at length into training mindfulness and loving kindness awareness practices um, with Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock. There was this whole introductory like awareness course that I had to take. It was a 12 week course that I did. And then that just kind of like catapulted me into learning about a lot of other kinds of meditative practices, sound healing. I've got my sound healing tools and um, just kind of uh, another aspect is I also took a well-being course during this time, and so I'm just trying to learn about how the brain acts, help you know how I can use my brain knowledge of the brain to help me access well-being, to help us access well-being. I think that a lot of Jewish practices are designed for that, but we don't necessarily use them as such. And, you know, I give the example of the Ashrei prayer, which is like it's this mantra of like sit and become present in order to unlock praise, you know? And it's like, it's such a beautiful transition because it's not even from the same psalm as the rest of the Ashrei. It's just like this one sentence that's kind of like this, you know, uh, intention setting kind of moment. And when I was a kid, we learned Ashrei at the Jewish day school. And we went so fast because that was kind of a badge of honor at the JDS to know the Ashrei really, really, really well and know it by memory. But like point being, I don't know that I ever took a class at the JDS that um, unlocked that kind of intention. <laughs> what, what, what is it that we're doing and saying here? And it's so beautiful. So it's weird to kind of go through, you know, I, the, the, the mindfulness thing is, is kind of, it's a form of Buddhism, but I really am trying to unlock the wisdom that's within our tradition and take it right to our practice of how we experience prayer for ourselves today. Mm. That first of all is is so serendipitous that the timing that you would have entered into that at the start of this time when you're gifted the solitude to focus on it. 
Um, secondly, it resonates so much for me because I've been focusing a lot lately on um, the written works of uh, Kurzat Ozink and Margaret Hagen, who are um, the folks who are behind the Stanford um, Design School's ritual design classes. And I'm pretty obsessed with their concept of ritual design and just rituals and ritual designing, which my congregants who are listening to this podcast are probably tired of hearing me write and talk about lately. Uh, but I, I, I love this idea of, of, um, of rituals being, um, something that we can constantly innovate and, and design for ourselves. Um, and, uh, I, I would add to their their list, which I think is a very Jew, unintentionally probably Jewish list of um, things that make a ritual a ritual, like intentionality, that it has a je ne sais quoi to it. Um, I would add to their list of principles of something that makes something Jewish, Jewish, um, that it has something authentic to it, right? Like that we would link it into um, to something like that first line of the ashray, right? Oh, very Jewish, right? Oh God, that first line of that intentionality of the ashray, right? Of course it was put there for a reason, very Jewish. And then also this idea of chazaka, this idea that if you do something enough times, then it becomes ritual to you, right? If every time you start to do this mindfulness practice, you, use this particular space, you ring this particular bell, you light this particular candle, and so the scent fills the room, then it becomes ritual to you because it it's done enough that it becomes that ritual. And so I think that there is a Jewishness to the mindfulness of, of ritual as well. And I think we can all become our own innovators and no one gets to prescribe that to ourselves other than us. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, it, the other thing about what you're saying is like, the consistency of the ritual for for me i feel like even though this life is very unchanging and kind of static like that consistency of having returning to ritual with gathering spaces you know even on zoom like it's been such a lifeline for me and i know it has for other people too so it's like whatever we can do to you know my friend eliana and i created a a weekly ma'arif that we just put on ourselves and it's like you know register if you want to come to the zoom and we have done it literally every week for a year you know basically and you know nobody hired us to do it we just did it for our own spiritual needs because we want to use the ma'arif service at least once a week to help us process what we're going through emotionally so you know as we come to each prayer like we filter it through what this moment is for us and you know it's very like time based you know it's very just that day and that's basically what these rituals provide to us is like a backdrop mm -hmm. for us to l allow our experiences to come to the surface you know yeah when you're creating, when you're curating with, this is with Eliana Light, right? Who uh, our community knows well. She did an artist in residency. She came out for another cult of Vila, um, and was there last year too. Yeah. And when you're creating these Marif services with her, when you're curating what you bring each week, and as you um, created this um, jazz album that you put out this uh, this past year and that you're releasing hopefully this coming year yeah releasing yes, a definitely. a new jazz album we're putting that out into the universe with you um what 
what's what's your music absorbing from this experience the musician side of you what's what is um what's soaking and seeping into that that musician side of you from this experience as well um you know i've had the opportunity to explore some themes that are really important to me and dear to my heart that you know this is kind of almost separate from the pandemic but just because of the pandemic i've had more time to really just give space to it but you know i'm i'm constantly reflecting on issues of gender dynamics and power dynamics between you know in the gender hierarchy you know kind of the the traditional gender hierarchy um, and how that's impacted me as an artist and just as a human being and how so many of those um, of the unhealthy kind of toxic dynamics are reflected in songs, you know, um, that oftentimes how women are often singing or, you know, female identifying people are often singing the words of someone more powerful than themselves and they're kind of like a spokesperson for someone else's words, um, you know, that that is pretty pervasive in the jazz world where you're singing kind of like standards that were written at a time when it was, you know, almost exclusively men who were writing the songs, you know? And so a lot of the songs have like underlying kind of rape culture theme. You know, I'm just like, go straight to that because it's like, you know, like, Baby It's Cold Outside is a classic example of like the whole song lyric is based on someone trying to coerce someone else to do something physically that they don't want to do, you know, and that that's kind of like, you know, accepted and, you know, kind of a normal, you know, standard theme or normalized kind of thing to sing about. You know, and so just like those are kind of important things to me when I approach jazz is to look at what am I singing about and how does it tell my my story? You know, just the way that we do when we read Torah, you know, we're looking for our own stories within the text and how, you know, as as it keeps coming back around, how does it kind of reflect different times and experiences in our lives? So that's that's been my um, interaction with the jazz repertoire. As far as like this time and pandemic, I made I made an album with my friends. It was a one one time thing, and it was right before like this ramp up um, in the cases around like before Thanksgiving. But you know, so it was a time when the the case the cases were really low in Seattle, and so we got together and made this thing, made this album, and we had not played with other musicians in so long, and so something that had never happened before to any of us which is that we had been deprived of our ability to play with other musicians for that long that was just like it would never have happened so kind of the creativity that came out of that experience was was pretty powerful and also just my relationship with my voice has changed you know during this time it's like my voice is like its own character in my life in a way because it's just you know the kind of scope has narrowed of what I get to do musically. So it's been kind of nice to get my voice just a good chance to, there's no other sound. It's just sound of my voice all the time. Yeah. I do feel like I listen to my own voice and look at my own face 10,000% more than I used to because of, because of Zoom. Um, oh, so much to say to that. I was thinking about, um, about Jobim and all of those lyrics and 
just the whole culture behind that. And there's a lot that you and I could probably talk about with jazz, but maybe we should have a whole separate podcast conversation specific to uh, the singing of jazz songs and what it's like for women to be asked to sing those songs. Uh, but but what I'm thinking about specifically with jazz in this time is um, something that I spoke about a couple of Shabbatot ago, which is this idea of spontaneity and improvisation. Uh, during this time, one of one of the things that uh, that is driving me crazy, I told this story to my congregants that I, I I'm kind of obsessed with this squirrel. Actually, the squirrel made a friend. So update to my congregants who are listening to this. The squirrel has a friend. So there are now two squirrels outside my window. But um, I'm I'm obsessed with surprise life outside the window of my home because I never leave my home. And it's because there are no unscheduled surprises in life. And there was a longer drosh to it than that. But ostensibly, without without spontaneity in our lives at all, uh, it's very, very hard to, to see life in life. Um, and uh, it's, it's why jazz is my music of choice. Right? It's, why the, it's why that's the music degree that I have. It's why, it's, it's why Prasenut is the type of music that I pursue um, because there's a melody line and there are chords, but then the improvisation is there. So I'm just picturing you with, you know, you, the vocalist and your friends and guitarist, um, but playing with, with some folks and being able to just surprise yourself maybe for the first time with your voice in a long time um, to allow yourself the freedom to improvise over 12 or 16 bars. I tell you, I don't, I never, I never did anything like that before because you know what you were just saying about having to stare at ourselves. This has been a gift to me. You know, you, you're in LA, so you, you may identify with this, but part of our job as public people is sometimes we have to be filmed or photographed and that was something that was kind of a um obstacle for me an internal kind of block where if i went to a photo shoot you could see i was just like every photo looked like an embarrassed lady i was like oh there's an embarrassed (laughs) lady standing in that position (laughs) and there she is in this different position so anyway like i just never was able to break through that whole block of just being embarrassed of being filmed and photographed and this situation where I'm constantly just like hi everyone and I'm just looking at myself and I'm just I'm actually my best friend in every room because I'm the person I know the best so like there's me and then there's like a bunch of other people I'm like okay well this is actually working for me because I you know Mm. I love myself and everything you know and I know I'm going to be there I got my back so that it's really shifted my relationship with myself because instead of seeing myself as like it's just me over here like deer in the headlights and then everyone's judging me it's like i see myself watching me and like i'm my advocate so i don't know why but it's kind of reconfigured my brain i i love that because what you're saying is that you're the most um reliable part of every zoom meeting that you're in (laughs) Um, in every situation that you're in, you can count on yourself. And um, that's that's powerful, Chava. That's a real sense of knowing yourself, um, to be able to say that you can count on yourself in 
in a room and say that you're your own best friend in in every meeting and every service and like saying hello friend I'm glad to see you and to greet yourself in that way um you must take some really good pictures now <laughs> I can only take selfies I don't know I haven't been photographed <laughs> by someone else but if I'm taking a selfie and I can see myself I can look at myself and connect with something within myself so you know the brain perceives like a connection with ourselves the same way as a connection with someone else yeah. You know, so that's why this platform is good because, like, I can look at you, I can look at me. So it's like almost like the person over here is a separate person, and the person over there is a separate person, which is true in a way. Yeah. As consciousness, it works. That's kind of true, and so it helps to kind of like visualize that. Yeah, you know. So, because like, who's listening to me right now? That person is. <laughs> there she is. I can see her, and I know I can hear she she's hearing so you know yeah oh i love that um well i'm i want to talk about the counter to that like the the counter to the single person in a room feeling right to knowing that you can count on yourself in a room which is the feeling of community okay um so you just it it triggered the thought of community just a moment ago when you said that it's been such a long time since someone else can take a picture of you, right? Basically, the only picture you can take, you can have taken is a selfie. And it's true that, you know, um, it is rare to sing with other people to have someone else take your picture because we're so often only in the rooms with ourselves or with our families these days. So um, do you ever feel like you're with community anymore? And what is community these days to you? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm at that point. Half of me is like, okay, it's been way too long and it's still no end in sight. And so I'll get a video up of like our beautiful concert to, when together or, you know, something from SLBC where people are in a room together and I'm just like bawling, you know, because like, I can't believe that we were in and the energy and how the energy rises as the song continues and you can see people leaning in. So of course, I desperately miss that. But then um, I've been working really hard to try to find um, techniques to create connection on Zoom because I do Zooms every day. Last year, I did 350 gigs. I did, I'm sorry, over. I probably did 400 gigs last year. You know, I did 350 that I had counted or that I got paid for. Or maybe not. Probably I didn't get paid. <laughs> Believe me, I didn't. But, um, um, but you know, I, you know it, I was working. And it was always different communities. And you never know who's going to come onto the Zoom. So it's like this whole different skill set. And, like, how do I get these people who are basically looking at a piece of plastic, because that's what our computers are, in their room, to, like, all of a sudden be in a community together? Hmm. And so I've been playing with that more than I probably did in actual rooms. You know, because yeah. like it was it, it was just the default. We were fine. It was it was OK. We were just going to do it like that. And so it was, you know, I anything I did in those rooms, it felt more connected than probably, you know, just the standard thing they would do, you know, a board meeting or something. So it was fine. It was better than that. So now it's different because it's like you could be watching, you know, Drag Race UK. Like, you know, this little plastic thing could like tune into any channel. So why are you here with us? because you're part of something. And so I actually feel in some ways more connected to people through Zoom. Mm -hmm. Look how close we are sitting to each other. Mm -hmm. We would never do this. 
you get the whole congregation in there or, you know, a meeting on a Tuesday night, you know, the ed class or something. And everyone's like looking at each other and like the rabbi and cantor are the same size as the other people. And, you know, I don't know, there's something very connected about this that it's hard to replicate in real life because of, and even more so probably going forward are just um, discomfort with proximity and you know, being bodies mm -hmm. in a space. We're not really bodies here in this. We still have our space, you know, personal space. And it just, it allows for a little bit more of our authenticity to come forward because there's so many barriers with presentation, mm -hmm. you know. And so anything we can do, I, that's why I like Clubhouse. I don't know if you've explored Clubhouse on the telephone. It's so weird because it's so like lo-fi but it's just people's voices. And so therefore, you're still in your room. You're not like, I don't know, there's something about it that feels like, I, you know, I don't know what gender everyone is. I don't know what anything anyone is. All I know is just their humanity, mm -hmm. you know. Have you had any really, really special connective moments that are like worth mentioning in community creation over those 350 gigs, like people you met or? just stand out like, wow, I can't believe that worked or flops. <laughs> I, you know, I, everything has always been, I've left feeling better than I, when I got there, you know, yeah. every single time that everyone clicks on those links and those little screens come up and then you just see those eyes of, you know, the kids trying to get through to the kids on it. It's, you know, it's a little different cause they're in school all day and they're just like, ah, Sunday school or, you know, I think, yeah, the things that really stand out to me sometimes are those breakthroughs where like there's some resistance and then yeah. by the end, everyone's in it. I also like the things that have been where a community has kind of like committed to doing an ongoing thing. So it's once a month. And so then it's like, I always know that, you know, the, I'm going to get back together with those people and we're like, mm -hmm. our relationship is growing over time. That's just like what's, what could never have happened before. I would never go to Albuquerque once a month. You know, it would be impossible. Yeah. You know, so it's like a special kind of thing where it's just a weird, everything slipped between the cracks and, you know, some weird, fun connections are happening over time. Oh, yes. I know Joey Weisenberg has been talking about this concept of circles of song and how critical that would be just to imagine that you have this commitment to come back to sing again with people this idea that when you say goodbye at the end of singing with somebody that you know you're going to see them and sing with them again is so powerful yeah you know as one of joey's fellows in his very first fellowship program i experienced a completely transcendental experience with him where he just had us share about each of us there were 18 people and the entire three-day conference it was just each of us sharing and everyone else just listening about our life telling our life story and then we sing the same nigun in between everyone and then the next person share and then, then we went home okay and so we looked at that itinerary i tell the story a lot because it's like so powerful about what it is to listen to other people actually and so we looked at that itinerary and we were like what the this is not the I was I thought I was going to come here and Joey was going to like teach me how to be sing with the angels and instead I'm just listening to everyone's life story you know and like it was so beautiful the like heart space I don't want to be corny but like it just, I still remember the expressions on everyone's faces as they 
heard the vulnerability in each person's story and came mm -hmm. forward with like caring and all this caring came forward and now we're like lifelong siblings from that moment on we were all just like forever together you know and so what is more valuable than that you know nothing and it's then you returning to the same nigun well that nigun changed drastically because it was filled with the stories and with the caring and you know that transformative thing that we were doing anyway so that's kind of like you don't need content you don't need you know the tosafot on whatever you don't need anything else except for just people's commitment to show up and listen and that's really what this platform kind of like allows is for everyone to just be present and someone to have a turn you know and then we can sing together and you don't have to worry if your voice because when you're singing you can really only hear your own voice and the leader you know sometimes no don't get me wrong there's the singing together in a room i can't discount that you know there's no way to replicate that but there's something special about your voice and joey's voice and you know just that because or your voice and the hazan's voice in your house you know that's a beautiful sacred relationship too so even though as the Chazan you can't hear their voice, they can hear you and they're singing, they can hear themselves singing with you. So that's what the gift that you're giving. They don't hear the person sitting next to them drowning you out. They hear them and you as a duet. It's beautiful, you know. So that I'm trying to kind of lean into that thing. We have to teach people to do with their own voices what you've done for yourself over this time, Chava, though, because you're describing this this um, embarrassment that you have, um, that you had <laughs> past tense with yourself, you know, um, these funny faces that you would get captured because you weren't comfortable having your picture taken and eventually Zoom sort of beat it out of you over time uh, and you found a way to love yourself in every room enough to become your own best friend and to project this confidence, if I can use that that word for you and allow yourself to just be in those rooms and fill those spaces um, for yourself and with yourself and accompany yourself in those spaces. And I think people have to feel comfortable enough to do that with their voices in their own living rooms, right? That I think most people would describe a very similar experience about their own voices. I often come back to the analogy of like, can you imagine the person who wouldn't sing take me out to the ball game because they're afraid of what the person next to them would think while they're munching on Cracker Jacks, right? Like that's the platonic ideal of, of community um, when we're all together and when we're alone, it's a, it's a different version of that um, where, where we have to be so comfortable hearing the sound of our own voice and so comfortable in the space of no judgment, no one else can hear you. I mean, shut the door, right? And and no one else can hear you. And, and just be your own best friend in that space and sing with that other person there. But th they got to have it. <laughs> They've got to do that. And that's not easy. Oh, well, you know, I didn't mention this when we talked about like, what am I excited about? But, you know, the probably the purpose of my existence on this earth is to go through such like a devastating level of self deprecation or whatever that I had to learn self love. And I like mm. had a like 
had to transform my life. That happened over two, a little over two years ago. Two years ago, basically. January 2019. I, you know, and I actually wrote a book. I wrote a chapter in a book that was just published last month um, that about this. You know, about, you know, whatever. It was just one little slice of this. But growing up just kind of feeling like there's something wrong with you, like you're not good enough, which is very it, human. It's not like something unique to me, actually. It's pretty much kind of a human condition that love and compassion and, you know, emotional coaching can, a person can become a healthy, you know, grown-up, you know, through. But I did not have that. So I didn't ever really grow out of that, you know, even when I was, like, leading things and, you know, whatever like singing for people and what I still had the critic inside that was like everyone else is smarter than you everyone else is better than you you are the like person who knows the least out of and you're just like just try to keep up like try to take whatever cue you can from the external world and like try to get that approval from other people because it's you don't have it within you so you have to get it from other people that's the only way to feel approved of you know i didn't know that like i was like cutting out like the main source of approval that i could access so i had to like enroll myself in a coaching program for self love and to learn how to be like in that healthy relationship with myself and I did, I got really into it. Like, I basically, I just devoted my whole life to it. I'm just like, okay. And every prayer was about that. You know, it's not like I stopped leading prayers. I, I led prayers every day. And the prayers became about that. You know, so I, and the Torah became about that. So, and so the past two years have been pretty much devoted to rewiring my brain to accommodate that. Because that is the Ahavat Olam. You know, that is like the the Adonai Echad. That is the what we're trying to achieve through our practices as Jewish people to get to that kind of sense of unity that like the love out there is in here and there's no barrier between me and it. And so, you know, that's like a, a thing. And I became a self-love coach myself because I just see so much pain in relationship to self and, you know, that's, that could be your main, main source of well-being right there. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't see value in your own self, it's very, very hard to see value in other people. And you could reverse that statement, too. If you, if you spend all your time worrying about the value of other people, then you can find yourself going down a deep hole of completely devaluing yourself. So... Neither thing is healthy. And um, I think that COVID is a time when we wind up in these, it's so much solo time, so much self-reflective time that people who are approval-seeking and judgment fearing have to have reckonings that they have not had to have before. Um, and uh, if you've never found deep ahavat olam, deep and a 
abundant and world-filling love for yourself singing solo in your room, judgment-free, my friends, like, we invite you. Javi and I, we invite you, each of us, both of us, like, to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's an abounding joy to, to be, to be completely, to be completely free of, um, of the need for, for anyone to love your, just specifically your voice besides, besides yourself to feel like, like God rejoices in your, in your praises. It doesn't say God rejoices in your praises when you have a beautiful voice. It just says, God likes all these sounds. God likes the sound of a bell. God likes the sound of a horn. God likes the sound of your raspy praises, like shouted to the heavens. Um, so just do it. Shout it out. I learned that during high holidays this year, you know, I felt like I was like crying out on behalf of the whole community because we didn't have that power of all of our voices together. And I mean, sometimes, I, let's just say, I didn't always sound that great, you know, but sometimes I was like, it's, you know, Chazanud is like this. It's almost like crying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you're wailing, like you're crying, you know, to God, Shema Kuleinu, hear our voice. Sometimes that's not pretty, you know? Sometimes I like wail and scream and, you know, I just want to just invite everyone to kind of like, that our voice is like a channel from, you know, of our something in us that needs to get out. And this is in a lot of our texts and a lot of our, you know, our, our teachings that I don't know if that stuff trickles down as much. I, I know that rabbis and cantors do get to study a lot about this, this voice that, that, you know, needs to break out and it's part of Torah, but it's, you know, it's not like tied to a holiday. So I don't know, you know, these are like these really resonant concepts in our tradition that don't always get included in our discourse. But I think maybe one of our most important things, teachings in Jewish life is just scream it out, you know, make a sound, let it come out of you. And um, uh, I'm just reading about burnout and um, this book called Burnout, which is amazing. Everyone should read it. But anyway, it talks about completing the stress cycle. And basically, you know, we're humans, we're also just animals and animals, you know, what happens is we have the stressor, which is a stressful thing, and then we have our response. And we deal with the stressor. We like deal with the crisis. We fix the schedule or whatever. We never go back to deal with the stress that got released when we realized that we forgot and we b- double booked and someone's waiting for us in a Zoom. And, you know, so we can solve that problem of what happened, but our bodies are holding all of the residue and even the uncompleted kind of just experience of it. So I don't know how to explain it any more scientifically, but Mm -hmm. I would just say, I think that it's healthy and increases our well-being and promotes our general health to kind of release in some way, whether it be to let go cry or, you know, and these kind of gatherings that, that, you know, I'm sure that you are facilitating, um, are, like the opportunity for us to do that in a safe space. So I, I also want to agree and welcome everyone in the community to come and join in these singing opportunities and you, whether it be Shabbat or other gatherings. And if you have to go into your car because you feel shy and just go in there and make a little capsule for yourself, but find a space where it feels safe to just get those sounds out. 
Yeah. And if it's not there, then like you say, in terms of completing that stress cycle, I think that part of it is just naming it in some way. And that might be through writing and it might be through therapy and it might be through talking to a partner and talking to a friend. But I think naming it and letting it exist in the universe is the most critical part of it. Um, So I invite you to sing it out, but also just let it be real. Uh, And by allowing it to be real, you can um, then uh, allow it to go away, (laughs) right? You can, you can name it to, to get rid of it. Let it go. Uh, Right. 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 Name it to let it go. Plus I think it's healing that what you're doing right here is you're creating this space where people are talking about these things and just to hear someone talking about it, honestly, I think is very liberating of those kind of tensions of having things under the surface. So I want to thank you for creating this, this kind of place where it's, this is okay to talk about. Yeah, I I think that we are not uh, really acknowledging in many of the spaces that we're in professionally um, how much this is also impacting upon us personally uh, in our own spiritual lives. And I'm enjoying learning how um, my colleagues are exploring this in personal spaces. Yeah, you know, rabbis and cantors and song leaders and spiritual leaders, people thrive off community gatherings. So, you know, across the board, like everyone's feeling this huge loss and, you know, everyone's like had this responsibility for these these buildings, these building spaces where, the, you know, it's a hub of gathering and connections and, you know, nourishment and experiences and memories. And like to have that cut off, like it's just such a loss for, for the leadership, you know, so obviously for the, for the congregants as well, you know, don't want to just count that, but like, I just, you know, there aren't, aren't that many spaces really for, I think the people who are leading the communities to really process the level of loss that has been experienced this year and with no time to, you know, you still have, now you have to create high holidays from scratch, like, you know, create virtual high holidays, just make that up, you know, systems, all these systems that have to be created, like no one had time to just sit with the pain of that we don't have these hubs of life, of Jewish life happening right now, so... Yeah, and sometimes it sits in this overwhelming neutral zone of just the tectonic plates being cracked wide open. And it's not that it's good and it's not that it's bad. It's that the possibilities are absolutely cracked wide open and the paradigm has been smashed. The paradigm has been absolutely smashed. It doesn't exist. The synagogue in a building on the High Holy Days does not exist right now. We are in between. And it's not going to exist with any kind of normalcy this year anywhere either. So with it smashed again right now, and the longer that that's the case, the the more permanent that feels, uh, it, it is both terrifying and exhausting. And it's also so ripe with possibility. <laughs> uh, it, I think all of us are, are um, we're just insomniacs and buzzed and overwhelmed. And we're facing this enormous what if that's now not a what if. 
um, I feel like I'm like in, in, in Babylon for the first, you know, <laughs> uh, for the first time, like I'm, 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 uh, in, in amazing new territory and, um, it, and it, it's beautiful and frightening. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, thinking about all of the access that this kind of paradigm shift has shift has opened up, you know, the generational, if, if people have internet access, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, just being able to stream things into places where people don't really have mobility, you know, and that that's not just a priority now, that's the entire thing. It's not some little side project, you know. I mean, it's I've been trying to get people to stream into the nursing homes this whole time and now they have like the entire universe of services available to them, you know, all over the world. So, it's that aspect of it is beautiful. I think like that should continue. Access should definitely continue. We should always have an element of, and if you can't attend, you know, in person, there's a way to still be part of things and be included. I don't know what that looks like, you know, like it's hard, especially, you know, in observant communities where like having technology, it's like only in absolute necessity would you do it, you know, so it's hard to see how we would like accommodate that. But you know, I'm just like thinking about how we include people who wouldn't come into the building. You know, I this that's one of the things that's gotten cracked open here is mm-hmm. just for whatever reason, a lot of people don't, you know, whether it's geographical or, you know, baggage related or anything, you know, there's just reasons why people don't come in the building, but yet they now more than ever want to be connected. So, you know. If we're finding ways to make Zoom feel connected, then that's definitely a good advertisement for what's going to happen in a building after the fact, you know, stepping forward to meet those needs and to really give voice to them, I think goes a long way in creating trust and safety, which is really what makes people want to go into a building. So it's going to be some combination of all of the above and this, this, building ground of a radical equity that's being created across the universe is, is a really, really holy place to start. Yeah. Um, what's your, what's your hope? Um, what's your hope for this coming year for, for you, not for the world, for you? Um, It's really hard to say. It's constantly shifting. Sometimes I hope for and wish for more space, spaciousness. And then sometimes, like, the spaciousness scares me. You know, I I feel like I'm still oriented toward, like, a busy, success-filled orientation, you know, as, like, a measure of my, you know, to gauge where I'm at. It's really hard to gauge where we're at right now. So I think... I think my my highest hope is just acceptance of what is deeper acceptance and um, all of the and to allow all of the blessings to come forward that happen when you kind of sink into that. I hope that blessing comes to you, Hava. You're such a wonderful spirit. Thanks for bringing it today. I am so grateful for your minutes, for your time, for your energy. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Are You Coming Back? Do you have someone you'd like to recommend for a conversation like this one? Someone who might have a fascinating personal perspective on returning to Jewish rhythms beyond the pandemic? Reach out to us at hchorney at tbala.org.